You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Half hour. Hello, and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here to bring you all the casual conversations on the shows, concerts, films, music, and movie events that we see and observe throughout our careers. Today we'll feature spoilers. Make sure you check out not one, not two, but three of the shows we're (laughs) discussing today. We're doing something very different for our podcast here. We're talking about three shows in the same episode because they all have a running theme, and we're going to spend the first half of the podcast talking about each piece separately, and then we'll spend the second half of the podcast talking about the theme of these three pieces, why we're seeing this on Broadway, the theme being one-man shows. Um, All three of these shows involve one man, in this case a man, one person on the stage telling a story. Of course, we know that it takes a village and an army of people behind the scenes to make these work with designers and publicists and agents and stage management and and everybody who's running the show behind the stage. But on stage, what we're seeing is the one person. So One person. You have been warned, and I will also say as as this is being released, um, one of these three shows has already closed, so you wouldn't be able to go see it now, but you would be able to see the other two. So I'm going to go through really qu- quickly here. Um, the first show, Mike Birbiglia, The Old Man in the Pool, is currently playing at the Vivian Beaumont Theater, and that piece is written and starring Mike Birbiglia. That was directed by Seth Barish. The next piece at the Music Box Theater, this is the one that has closed, Gabriel Byrne in Walking with Ghosts. Uh, This is written and performed by Gabriel Byrne, directed by Lonnie Price. And the third piece is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, playing on Broadway at the Nederlander Theater, starring Jefferson Mays, adapted by Jefferson Mays, Susan Lyons and Michael Arden, conceived by Michael Arden and Dane Laffrey, and it was directed by Michael Arden. So... Three different shows with directors. They didn't direct themselves, but they a lot of them have written and conceived these shows and put them on stage. Mm-hmm. So let's dive right into this and talk a little bit about this. We're going to, like I said, talk about this whole push of one-person shows coming to Broadway at the end. But we're going to talk about each piece individually first. And we're going to start with Mike Birbiglia, The Old Man in the Pool, currently playing at the Vivian Beaumont Theater. Mike Birbiglia. Birbiglia, yes. I have um, never seen him before. I've seen him in bits and pieces and films and things. But I've never really seen him live. And what an amazingly funny person. I I was really blown away. Did I feel like it was stand-up comedy at times? Yes. I loved the set, that big wave crest. I love that rounded feel of the Vivian Beaumont. And I feel like we were in his home or with him Mm -hmm. telling us the story. There was no stop. It flowed. He didn't. He didn't stop and shift. He just took us on this journey and really was the theme of his health, his family, his daughter, mm-hmm. his parents growing up as a child. And but but it was just a did it feel extremely theatrical? No. But I did feel like I was in a theater environment. I wasn't at some like comedy club watching a stand-up, even though it felt like stand-up at times. It did feel immersion at times. Well, it was your non-typical theater show. Yeah. But had a theater through line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
I just think that what we saw was something that's different. Yeah. And I think it did work. I mean, it got a New York Times critics pick, I believe. Yeah, I believe it got great reviews and it's selling very well, too. It got great reviews. He is hysterical. Yeah. And yes, is it stand-up mostly? Yes. But I think it just had, it had a heart to it that it was consistent for a play. Yeah. Yeah. It was a stand-up play. Right, right, right. Stand-up play, sure. Yeah. It was a stand-up yeah. play. And I, there was a lot of breaking the fourth wall. So, yes, interacting with the audience still happened like a normal, normal, typical stand-up theater. Yeah. But I right. think that it just – it was funny. It was – and it, there was a lot of moments in there that just was um, stuff that I think people on a day-to-day basis kind of think about. yeah. You it's know? just a commentary on life and how you're getting through life and how memories affect you. Mm-hmm. And comedy is like what we're all kind of looking for right now. And I think it's nice to see something really comedic like this. And, you know, it's interesting. These are in Broadway houses. They're getting Broadway reviews. They're, they can technically be treated, you know, as Tony Award winning designs and performances and direction. I mean, they're Broadway shows still. Yeah. You know, we have a goal here at Half Hour Podcast to see every single show in the season. And we're really grateful for organizations like TDF who, uh, are able to put up tickets at good rates and good seats for these shows. Actually, all three of these shows were seen through TDF. So thank you, TDF, so much for your wonderful seats and your mm-hmm. great prices, supporting theater artists and theater educators and people who work in the industry. Glad to do a little bit of a shout out to TDF for that. What I've like my one thing about this show that I find interesting and I'll ask you is like, do you think people will be upset? Like the the traditional Broadway goer would be upset with something like this being on the stage? Well, it's not. I don't necessarily think it's dominating the scene. I don't think it's taking over. We say this in our our podcast episodes all the time. There's room for everyone and everything on Broadway. Uh, And what I do want to say for later is like, why three right now? Usually, you do. We've seen one person shows before. Scripted and comedic, and you know, these are all scripted in a way, of course, but they're we've seen it here and there just to see a season with three already, with a fourth coming in the spring, a one woman show is coming, I believe. So they're coming, Mm -hmm. they're maybe a little bit better budgetary wise for producers to produce shows. You know, they're still selling tickets at the same price as a big show, so maybe would people would be maybe if anything, oh, I'm seeing one person on a show and I'm spending the price of but it doesn't work like that all the time with Broadway. You can't decide where you think the money goes with a show. That's the producer's job, right? Mm-hmm. But um no, listen, overall I know we're moving quick because of time, but I would say this was enjoyable. This was fun. I would tell people, if you like him, if you know who he is, oh, yeah. oh you should totally go see it. Because it's, I didn't know anything about him or this. And it was, and it was touching at times. Mm-hmm. It was very touching at times. And we had nice yeah, scenes. Yeah, we laughed through it, so. Laughed the whole time. It was Really, fun. really great. Yes. The next piece we had was Gabriel Byrne, Walking with Ghosts. This played at the Music Box Theater, as I said earlier. Uh, it closed early. It was supposed to play till January. It has now closed right before Thanksgiving in November here. Um, Which I think, personally, was kind of unfortunate it for yeah. that show because I I will take this one first. Yeah. I think yeah. that there was a lot in this show that really hit home to people who, um, it's about his life yeah. and it's from his memoir, right? Um, I believe, yes, it's from his memoir. Well, it's, it's also titled Walking with Ghosts. Walking with Ghosts, which is a way of him telling his story in a play form, yep. um, which Verged kind of being stand-up-ish in a way. I think this was a different way of someone telling their story, which was kind of cool. Um, But 
I think like growing up as an Irish Catholic and mm. seeing so much of what this man had went through, I think this kind of touches a lot of people in that way. Yes. And I think that it was done in a super creative way that I don't think was really put out there from the reviews that it originally got. Yeah, I, I was really captivated. I found Gabriel Byrne can really tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I was really in it with him. I was picturing his childhood and the journey. He was using that whole stage and he was really looking at the audience, connecting with the audience. I could sit there and watch him talk all day. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really, really amazing. I know he's very comfortable up there on the stage. And what's astonishing is when you hear some of these stories that are not comfortable yeah, and you realize, oh, he, this is difficult for him to be saying some of these things. And that's got to be tough. But what he was doing when he was telling the story, he was narrating, but then he would switch into acting mode. Yeah. And some of those moments that were happening on, I, I was like, you have to praise this man yeah. and his acting skills. Yeah. Because he, as we were talking about in many of our podcasts this season, the acting that he was giving us was just tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. He, 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 he could flip the switch yeah. and he would be a storyteller and then he would be an actor. From And even from the comedy to the drama. Some of the serious things he was talking about with um, the priest when he was a child, with the drink, uh, the drinking and, 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 and some of that that he dealt with. And when you're seeing someone tell their story. It made you feel. It makes you feel what they've gone through. It really makes you feel. Think, and that's what theater is supposed to do. Yeah. Be. You're supposed to... You're, you're laughing at certain moments with the parents. You're laughing at moments with the grandmother. Yeah. And then you're like wanting to cry when you hear about the things that he that he went through as a person. And he just wanted to, he never really knew where he wanted to go in life. And for him to figure that out along the way, it's the journey that so many of us have. And I also think it's interesting because he says at the very end of the play, I think he end, leaves the audience by saying, it was never really walking with ghosts. It was that the ghosts were always inside with him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a beautiful way to end it because it's titled Walking with Ghosts. Yeah. And his the spirits of the people of his past are with him. Mm-hmm. And we think about that in our life, the people who've passed on and who we carry with us in our daily life as a spirit of sorts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure. So I, I commend Gabriel Byrne on this. It was, it was important to bring something like this to a Broadway commercial stage. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that. And then last but not least here, we're talking about the Nederlander Theater, Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol starring Jefferson Mays. Oh, my gosh. You can have this one. Oh, first. I... You can have this one I first. Was, <laughs> I... I, this is one of the greatest things I've really seen in a really long time, and I'm not kidding. I've seen a million films and versions of A Christmas Carol. You hear this, but you're like, no, no, no. This is different. I almost felt like I was watching a different play. Mm-hmm. We had great seats. It was chilling. It was haunting. I was literally scared at times. The audience screams and shouts because it's dark. We have to remember Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is dark. Oliver is dark. Some mm-hmm. of these pieces are, and so when we, when we make them very G-rated, family-friendly pieces in musical formats and films and cartoons, we strip away. No, this is very, very dark. I've never seen this this dark. Mm-hmm. The way they're using special effects is mind blowing. I my jaw was open the whole time. I'm like, what? Like, and Jefferson Mays. I mean, please give him the Tony Award for this. I'm sorry. He totally deserves the Tony Award for this. He is commanding the stage, voices, physicality, changing through costume pieces and scenery. And the, I, I have, I, I have, 
the best things to say about this. <laughs> the revolving stage, moving furniture on and off, the projection use, taking us through this journey. I felt like he was on stage with 50 people, not playing 50 people. I really never felt like he was alone up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, I, the audience was with it the whole time. It was 90 minutes. It was a great running time. I I have no bad things to say about this. Yeah. I really don't. Well, what a stellar performance from him. Like, that's the best thing you can say, probably, because he just was... Who can really command a stage like that when we have seen so many productions yeah. of A Christmas yeah. Carol? And and you see so many roles. I mean, like, right before the pandemic, we saw A Christmas Carol, and there were so many people, and that was such a different take on the yeah. show, and we've yeah. seen so many different takes. You're right, but, like, I think you said this, too. Like, this is kind of what... They say a Christmas Carol really is supposed to be like him telling the story. They say apparently, and I, I need to do more research on this. That Charles Dickens, a lot of this text was original Dickens text. It was adapted, of course, but you hear the way I, I love Dickens writing, and I think that there's something so haunting about how we you never put the Christmas and death usually in the same sentence, let alone the same story. Mm-hmm. And when you see like that, he the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And it's not only his death, but Tiny Tim's death. I always knew that. They they look in the future and says, Who's whose grave is this? And that's Tiny Tim. He's not gonna your employee, that's his son. Yeah. And then he goes, But whose grave is that? He's like, that's, that's, and he's not saying this, the ghost of, it's just the ghost, but he points that and he realizes that's my grave. And, and whoa, when you get close to death, how you can really change and awaken from that dream and be like, wow, I need to change Mm -hmm. as a person. I saw that. And I saw him tearing up talking about Tiny Tim. And I literally teared up because I was like, this, you know who is so sad? <laughs> that little crutch sitting there on the table. I was like, oh my gosh, Tiny Tim. Well, but, it's such an interesting way of watching this show because everything is a ghost. Yeah. He's playing the characters, but you just see, like, you don't see anyone yeah. because they're ghosts yeah. to him. Him in this world is like, oh, okay, I'm looking and I'm viewing and I have to analyze myself. And you're like... Wait, but yeah, that's a ghost there, and yeah. that's a ghost. But they're alive. You're the ghost yeah. now. Yeah, and you're like, whoa, that's chilling. I was brought into it. I felt like if that was in the round, great. But you know what? Here's an example of someone <laughs> there you direct go with the round. I, the, the theater. <laughs> I always love theater in the round. But when bring back the turntable to Broadway, it works. Yes. It works in Hamilton. It's working in and Juliet. It worked in Les Mis in the 80s. That was such a groundbreaking thing to have that. It works. You move plot. You move scene changes. It works. Why have we gone years without barely seeing turntable? I know it's expensive to build that motor into that stage. But still, I mean. You move plot and set really well. When you just see set pieces moving off and you don't see someone moving it. It's so much better. Yeah. It's so much better. And also just watching the person who's up there moving on yeah. it. The staircases were moving effortlessly. Yeah. The projections were done perfect. The sound design the was sound chilling. Design. Oh my gosh. I really thought I was in like an amusement of some kind where someone was going to... And he pops in when the when the other um, performer comes in. I, because there was another performer built here, I wanted to say, um, as... Uh, Danny Gardner, who is in it as billed as the Spectre. So there's the mourner, Jefferson Mays, and then the Spectre, who must be playing the ghosts and the different at different parties. Yeah, that- and and he didn't have a bow at the end, I don't think. Um, but I, so we didn't see him. But but you know, this is I I can't. Everyone has to go see this. Yeah, like you have to go see this. So what's interesting about this show, and because 
A Christmas Carol is kind of getting the... Everybody does it, okay. everyone sees it, everyone How likes many it. more of them yeah. are we going to see? Like the Cinderella's and the Wizard of Oz's. How many times are we going to retell this same story over and over again? And you hate to say it, but like, not with this one. No, this was its own thing. Because this one was so different and so chilling and so great. But could it be because of him? Well, sure. And I'm sure his understudies and standbys are doing a wonderful job too. But he is he is amazing at what he does. He is so he is good. really Jeffers Amaze we're talking about here. He knows exactly what he's doing. Yes. And I will but say we've seen him do this before. How, when he was in Gentleman's Guy, oh, he had brilliant. to play all those, those characters. multiple characters. Yeah. And he is just owning it. He's even the mayor and the music man, and that's a small role, but he owned it. You mm-hmm. totally got that camp. He gets camp in the comedic way, and that he gets drama. I, I'm literally watching him go from like laughter to sadness to crying. That is an extremely talented man. And you know what? I will tell you something. If this came back to Broadway every single year, I would literally go see it every single year as a traditional piece. I just, I loved it. It is kind of nice to see it like this. And would you want to see it with someone else? Maybe, but I don't know. It's also Would you want to see different takes on it only as a one-man show with someone else? Sure, and I actually think it would be cool if maybe a woman did it once. Or maybe an older person, maybe a younger person, a person of color. I mean, I would love to see different people playing that. It's an amazing narrator, but he's also playing all the characters. Yeah, and I know we're crunching for time here, but... That was that was amazing. <laughs> I hope it gets a lot of Tony nominations. I'm sure it will. Sure a lot of times the holiday shows, you know, they're not forgotten, of course. But you think, you know, we're we're in May and June, a Tony season. We forget. No, there was these holiday shows that that are Tony eligible. You know, it just is a hard season because there are so, so much. much this season. So, and let's talk about that a little bit. We have these three one person shows. More coming. Do we? Here's my theory. My theory, and we're just going to kind of talk about one person shows in general here now. Is this a cheaper option for a producer? Let's talk money for a second. Maybe not to rent the theater because you still got to pay the bills and put the lights on, mm-hmm. but to not have to pay 20 people in an ensemble and many understudies and many standbys. Is this cheaper to say we do one set or, you know, Christmas Carol, there are multiple pieces, but do we still, of course, bring a design team in and bring a director in and do that? But do we sit here and do we say, oh, I don't know, maybe we do this because we think we're going to sell? And do we say, this will be a cheaper... Is this a cheaper option? You know, I don't know. Maybe that's a post-pandemic to... world. Is it less of a risk for a producer to put shows up like this? I think we would have to talk to people in the industry and say, and ask them, kind of, because I don't think we know enough mm-hmm. about, is it a cheaper option? Because guess what? When you do a play, you normally need a star, and is the star the cheaper option? Yeah. yeah. So are they only doing one-man shows or two-person plays because the stars are already expensive enough. Well, when you're pulling in, if you talk grosses, let's say you're only pulling in 300000 a week or 400000 is that enough? You don't need a million dollars a week to pay your bills. You know, I, I don't, don't know. know. What's Mike Barbiglia making from right. that show? What's Jefferson, what's Jefferson Mays, Mays making? What did Gabriel Byrne But even make? in like the piano lesson, which we've talked about, what's Daniel Brooks making? What's yeah. Samuel L. Jackson making really in know. a show like that? Right. I mean, that show's pu- pulling in close to almost a million dollars. Yeah, but yeah. Is it paying the salaries of these actors? Yeah, and do people get their investment recouped and things like this? I think it's nice because I think you're seeing a, a story told differently. Yeah. Look at Christmas Carol, for example. You could have put 50 people up there, and this just proved that you didn't need to. What other classic shows could we see? 
uh, of Jefferson Mays. You know, we can see so many. I think so there's many. plenty. But also, like, are people writing new shows that are only probably two-person plays or uh, one-person play? I mean, we saw Top Dog Underdog. It was two people yeah. in the show. Yeah. So I think that there, there's a lot of interesting things when it comes to this on is it the better option? And especially if we need it for a star-driven show. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of liked seeing these three different shows because I think in a weird way, all three of them are connected. And I think that there's something here about what, what is the lesson learned by each person here? And I kind of feel like there's something about like, in Mike Barbiglia, you have his mind and his thoughts and how he's always kind of getting behind himself. But then you have, Charles Dickinson in Dickens. Dickens. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you have Scrooge, who, what is he? He's like borderline, like having multiple personality yeah. uh, disorder here. And then you have um, Gabriel Burns, who's kind of just sitting here and he's like telling his story, telling his story but how much trauma he's had in his mm-hmm. life and how he's kind of learned from it. So it was kind of kind of similar cool in that way, in a similar way to see like, Oh, and it's all kind of done in narrator. Yeah. And, and then, then play the acting. Yes. And that's smart. Yeah. And that's really smart. I will also say it's interesting when I talk to theater goers, we have friends that see a lot of things. We have friends that see one thing a year and everything in between. Right. When I mention, Oh, Christmas Carol. Yeah. I'll go see that. But Old man in the pool. Oh, what is that? Mm-hmm. Or Gabriel Byrne walking with you. Oh, I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna. You know, is it the title? And is it? And I will say something. Mike Birbiglia, Jefferson Mays, and Gabriel Byrne. I wouldn't say they're A-list stars. Mm-hmm. If I mention those three names to most people, most people may not know who most of those people are. So it comes down to like, is do these shows work when it, they're clearly working and they're coming without major, major stars? Bruce Springsteen had his one-person show a couple of years ago, right? That was a star. Okay. But these three, maybe not – and I'm no, no, no disservice to them. They're wonderful performers. I wouldn't say they're like the most A-list stars. So it's interesting. But again, these are going to be short-lived shows that kind of come for like a two- to three-month stunt. And people will either go see them or they won't go see yeah. them. But they had a Broadway run. Yeah. Yeah. You know, does the Broadway run then funnel something that's maybe like, hey, they do a documentary on them or, hey, they they film it and they put it out for everyone to see. Right. Like, are we going to see uh, The Old Man in the Pool filmed and it's now sold to Netflix? Yeah, right. Exactly. Something like that. Which, we, yeah, I could. And it also comes down to like, let me ask you this. Could any of these shows worked in a small 100 seat downtown village black box theater? Of course. Right. So my question then comes down to Broadway, commercial houses, big houses, mm-hmm. limited runs. That's what's happening here. And they're not in the smallest houses. The music box is not that small. The Vivian Bowman's not that small. They're smaller. They're the just is pretty get, big. But they're just taking what they can get. They can just get yeah, what they can get. But A Christmas Carol worked in the Nederlander. Mm-hmm. It needed that. That yeah, it needed the Nederlander. Needed, yeah, <laughs> needed, the Nederlander. but yeah, and I, I guess my other question too is, do we like hearing these stories? I do like we them. want to hear these stories as society? And what's the next story? Like I said, I would love to hear. I would love to see a one woman show next. I would just love to see a woman tell her story and see what that's all about. I know that's coming, 
Um, I would love to see different perspectives of people of different genders, of different ages, of different orientations, of different races. I want to hear but different I think stories. What's you know? going to be interesting is that these were that kind of format of narrator actor. So they switched back and forth. Yep. But can someone drive a show on their own that's not in that format? Yeah, well, a lot of it's do you break the fourth wall and look at the audience? That's what all three of these did. So do you continue that style? We're no, but do- I'm saying like a, a fully scripted play yeah. that is just one person. That it's not their life. It's not a stand-up. It's not... Um, it's not a memoir. It's not anything like that. I mean, I guess a, a Christmas Carol is probably the closest thing, but it was that was still narration form, and I'm talking about straight acting straight through. Will we ever see a play that's know. kind of like it's interesting? That? Yeah, unless it's a two person play, but we're talking about a one person. Yeah, so I don't know. But I think there's something nice about having the narrator. The narrator is a comfort for an audience to get us through a story, to connect again, to kind of bring us back in. So. Well, and that's why it would probably be hard for an actor to do something on their own that's not narrating to the audience. Yeah, yeah. Because who are you connecting with for 60 to 90 yeah, minutes right. on your own? Yeah, on your own. And and when I watch the three of them, I think back to, like, what a world you're in all by yourself there doing what you're doing. You're in your own world. And most of the, I would think all three of these are roughly around 90 minutes. Uh, maybe, maybe... Walking with Ghost was a little longer. Um, but for that amount of time, you're in your world telling a story. And and there's no one else up there with you. Did, and walking, that's, did walking with Ghost have an intermission? I believe so. It did, yeah. But I, I believe that you're in this world and you're living it and you're breathing it and you're doing it. And there's no one really there with you. You're there. And I think that's astonishing. That takes a lot of bravery and courage to kind of do that. I guess where I didn't think that as much was probably for... Um, Mike Barbiglia's and Gabriel Burns. But for Jefferson Mays and being in A Christmas Carol and him really needing to own that whole story, that whole stage. And I looked at him and it's funny that you said that because I looked at him and I said, wow, this man's alone. Oh, alone. This man is besides uh, yeah. the stunt double at times and just doing different scenes with the other person, uh, the other actor. He's up there, and I was like, he is playing to this packed house. What, what, and what does that feel like? Yeah, but yeah, it's not even felt- like a it's not even like a singer up on stage, and you have your band with right. You. And this you have is a just, mic to hold. He's or something. literally just there by himself, and he's looking at the audience. He's connecting. He's lighting the candle, and he wants you to join him. He really brings you in. It's like when you read, read stories with your parents or grandparents long ago, and it was one person doing the voices and telling the story. It brings you back to that. That nursery rhyme kind of feel at times. When he is the family, the Tiny Tim and, and Bob Cratchit and all them, and they're cooking, and I'm like, oh my... And then all of a sudden, he becomes Scrooge looking at the family. I don't know. There's Nothing seems empty. I've never seen a, a one-person show like this where I really felt like all these people were up there with him. Yeah. It's astonishing. I know we keep bringing it back to that show because we just saw that last. But. <laughs> but that comes from directing. Yeah. And when you have Michael Arden, who's directing this, and bravo, because even where you're placing him on the stage and you have the lighting hitting him at different moments, yeah. that lighting design oh needed to happen that way. Yes. It needed to show 
character switching. It's like Jekyll and Hyde moments happening up on stage. It's almost like he's a little bit like manic at times. Manic, yeah, yeah. I'm like I thought the coolest, the, the coolest part was when he was playing Jacob Marley. Yeah, and he was turning his head in one light, and then the other light he was, and it was you would have thought behind that chair was the ghost. And that they were having that the chains coming up the stairs. Oh my! I, it, it's haunting. I still think one of the scariest things in just literature and text is him going to bed and hearing Jacob Marley's chains coming up the steps and coming to haunt him and saying, "Someone, you're going to be visited tonight by three." Go-. That is a, that but is that, an iconic moment. But that is the rest of the character of this show. So bravo to the whole creative team on this yeah. and the tech team because if anything was messed up. You're going to know. Yeah. And it needed to be perfect. And he needed to be perfect mm. so that everything just happens right. Yeah, exactly. And it happened right. Yeah. You so, know? No, totally, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, my gosh. We're all out of time already here. Wow. wow this We've been waiting by. a long time to do this. Yeah, because <laughs> we've so, seen these scattered over many weeks. So we're yes. finally had seen all three. Um Michael Birbiglia does play till January, and Christmas Carol does play till January. Walking with Ghosts is now closed. But hopefully, like you said, maybe they filmed it. Maybe it'll be out. Um, what you, are your overall... If you didn't see it, go read the memoir. Yeah. Yes, he has the book. What are your overall thoughts on these three pieces and just one person shows on a Broadway stage in general? Luckily for these three, I liked all three of them. They were fun. They were three very different shows, but three very alike shows yeah. in their own ways that it was just great to see. I don't mind a one-man show. I don't mind a two-person show. I don't mind a one-woman show. Yeah. If the the context and the text of what is being put on the stage is good, I'm going to like it. So I think there's room for everything on the Broadway stage. And if a big, splashy musical or a big, full play is not ready to go into a stage, but this is yes. so great. Right. And I'm so happy to keep seeing different things coming to the stage. Let's teeter that wall of, like, what has worked on Broadway for so long, and now what is to come. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, listen, I really hope that people get to check out some of these pieces. It was a really, really wonderful journey to see three shows like this, and hopefully we'll see more. But, um, yeah, go check two of them out if, as you can. And hopefully you've checked out some of these before listening to our podcast episode, too. So please go to At Half Hour Podcast on TikTok, Instagram. Check us out. Follow us. We have lots more shows coming, lots more Oh, films, pop music. We got so much coming up. This is a really, really great time of year for plays and musicals and all sorts of things. So mm-hmm. keep listening. So thank you all so much. We really hope you enjoyed listening today. And like I said, comments and follow us at Half Hour Podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. Signing off for now. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.